Now, we're turning this morning in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read the first 12 verses again. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 12. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful Minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, this morning... We are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And at present, we are considering Paul's prayer, Colossians chapter 1, 9 through to 12, for the church at Colossae. Now remember, I've told you in the past, this prayer is unique. It's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's really what I'm calling a big spiritual prayer. You could write that in the corner of your Bible somewhere. It's so different from a a physical prayer or or a material prayer. Nothing wrong with praying for something physical or something material, but it peels into insignificance when it comes to those big spiritual realities. Now remember, this is one whole prayer. And for the purpose of study, we've been breaking it up into constituent parts. So we'll ask the question, what did Paul pray for for the church at Colossae as he was in jail at Rome? He prayed, one, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's praying that they might know the will of God. And here's the extent of it, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, Secondly, he was praying that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Thirdly, he was praying that they might be fruitful in every good work. Fourthly, he's praying that they might increase in the knowledge of God. Fifthly, he's praying that they might be strengthened with all might. 
We looked at that last week. Today we come to Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. And here's a sixth thing that he's praying for. It's a prayer of thanksgiving for God's inheritance. Now as we consider this theme today, listen to the words, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Three things from this text last week came to me. First of all, there's a thanksgiving that is emphasized. Note the words, giving thanks unto the Father. Notice that Paul's prayer for Colossae included the giving of thanks. You think of the last two words in verse 11, with joyfulness. And joyfulness and thankfulness go together. You see, if a true born-again believer is full of the Holy Spirit, he will not only exhibit joy, for joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, but he will also, if he's truly joyful, will be truly thankful. And Paul is full of a spirit of thanksgiving and praise for all that God is and for all that God is like and especially for what God has done for him and the people of God. Now, this is despite his hardship. Remember where he's at, boys and girls, young people. He's in prison. And why is he in prison? He's in prison not because he's done any crimes, not because he's done bad things. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't committed murder. He hasn't blasphemed. No, he's in prison because... Of the gospel. He's in prison because they've put him in prison. Because he's a preacher of the gospel. And yet while under those extreme circumstances. He never lost his gospel gratitude. I want you to see that. This is really a prayer of gospel gratitude. Giving thanks unto the father. And he can thank God for so many things. One of the chief things that he thanks God for is the person and work of the Lord Jesus. I wonder if you've ever just thanked the Lord for the person and work of the Lord Jesus. You see, 2 Corinthians 9, 15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. If you look with me very closely at Colossians chapter 1 and 3, he introduced this theme. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Notice that thanksgiving is linked to the subject of prayer. Because true thanksgiving, as we'll see in a moment, is an integral part of prayer. He's thankful that God has saved him. Can you be thankful of that today? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So rich and so free. He's thankful for the life of service that he's been called to. He's been called to be a preacher of the gospel. He's thankful to the Lord for standing with him in a day of trouble and hardship when others failed him. Remember, he's in the prison house. He's thankful for every saint in Christ Jesus. I have no doubt he's thankful that Timotheus is with him. I have no doubt he's thankful that Epaphras has come. I have no doubt that he's thankful for others who are there. 
He is so thankful for all who have got saved and come to know Jesus Christ under his ministry. He, he, he is also thankful for those that he's heard about who have got saved under the ministry of others. As I've said, he's writing these words as a prisoner at Rome. The people at Colossae are a thousand, maybe 1,200 miles away. They're under attack from false teachers and false teaching. Paul has never met them in the flesh. He doesn't really know them. He hasn't seen them face to face. And yet, what does he say? We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then he progresses that thought when we come down to verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We refers to Timothy, refers to Epaphras, refers to others. Here's the depth of Paul's heart. He's thinking of others who are in Christ. He's thinking of their pardon and their position and their privileges. And he's so grateful to God. You see, all our prayers should include thanksgiving. If you take the word acts, A-C-T-S, A is for adoration, C is confession, T is for thanksgiving, and S is for supplication, general and specific. And the Apostle Paul is a man who never ceases to give thanks to the Lord. He always felt the conscious need to do this. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. He, he, he says this, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the scope, all things. Notice the source, giving thanks unto the Father. See, the Apostle Paul is very quick to express his thankfulness to God. And we can learn from his example, young people, boys and girls. I believe that thanking God, as I've said to the children already, is a mark of true grace in the life. You see, the opposite is true. Unthankful is a mark of the unconverted soul. If you turn over there to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look with me at the verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this. If we take the context, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I believe we're in the last days. I believe that perilous times have come. Why? Look at verse 2. For men, what are they like? What's their chief characteristic? Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Notice this word, young people. Unthankful. Unholy. You see, the mark of an unconverted soul is to be unthankful. It's not to be grateful, but it's to be ungrateful. Because they're living a life of self and sin and no real knowledge of God and no desire to walk worthy of at the Lord unto all pleasing and not bearing spiritual fruit and certainly not increasing in the knowledge of God and not living for the Lord. Therefore, they're not thankful to him. But Paul felt it necessary to offer deep gratitude for all that the Lord has done for him. And he wasn't just thinking about the gifts, and we'll get to the gifts in a little minute. He was so thankful to the giver. 
giving thanks unto the Father. Let me tell you a little story, young people. Over in the United States of America, in a place called Evanston in Illinois, there was a, a passenger boat out in Lake Michigan. It's the 8th of September, 1860. A group of university students from Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, they're assisting the passengers on the uh, boat that day. The boat's called Lady Eglin. And the boat, strangely and sadly, got into trouble, started taking in water. I'm not sure if the engine went in fire. And would not be scary. That would be really terrifying. Well, there was a ministerial student there on board. His name was Edward Spencer. And he personally rescued 17 people out of the water and brought them to the shore. He was a great swimmer. And he held on to them and brought them to the shore and then went back. Not only one person, but 17 people. Now, I want to tell you, if that had been me, Edward Spencer, I'd have been hugging the man. I'd have been so grateful because I have a fear of drowning. And I, of course, could only swim like a stone. But due to the stress and the exertion of that day, he permanently damaged his own health. In other words, he became disabled. And he wasn't able to finish his ministerial training. And he remained disabled from that day to the very day that he died. Now, I don't know exactly what age Edward Spencer was when he died. But do you know this, boys and girls? Are you listening? How many out of that 17 come back to hug and thank Edward Spencer? Here's the answer. Not one. At least the Lord Jesus got one out of 10 to come back. But not one out of 17. Base ingratitude. Unthankful. It's a characteristic mark of every unconverted soul. But the Apostle Paul was not like that. He was so full of gospel gratitude. You see, he's a saved man. He's a spirit-filled man. He is mindful that life is a gift from God. Have you learned that? He's mindful that all I have is a gift from him. Every physical, mental, material, spiritual blessing. Remember he, Ephesians 5 and 20, he thanks God for how many things? For all things. That's why I encourage you children to thank God, especially for mommy and daddy and your home and your food and your school and your teacher and even your church and your pastor and your elders. The Apostle Paul was wanting to use his gifts and talents and his money to help others. Why? Because God had been so good to him and God had blessed him. Now let me ask as I press it home this morning, what about us? Are we thankful? What are we really thankful for? Every physical, material, temporal, mental, spiritual blessing? You see, we teach the children to say thank you and that is right. We want our children to be full of gratitude for every little thing that's done for them. Even the making of the meal. Even tucking them into bed at night. Because many children don't have that. Many children today are hungry in this world. But are we thankful to the Lord? Can we say for all the Lord has done for me, I never will cease to praise him? You see, thanksgiving, I believe...
evidence of the mark of somebody who's been touched by the grace and power of God. Or are we just so full of self, base ingratitude, unthankful, that we think, I deserve this. We take life for granted. We take our soul for granted. God, the house of God, the word of God, Jesus Christ, and everything else. You see, there's a thanksgiving that is emphasized. Notice quickly, and secondly here, there's a teaching that is explained. If you look at the text again, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, the Apostle Paul, as I have said, is giving thanks to the Father. And as he does so, there's one blessing comes to his mind, one thing in particular. Seems to overwhelm him. It seems to come to the forefront of his mind. Seems to fill his mind. You see, we were singing there, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And, and what's the one thing that he thinks about? The one blessing which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. Here's the one blessing that comes to his mind. He's blown away. He, he's fixated in this. This one blessing stands head and shoulders above the rest. He, he mentions it. It's a prayer for gospel gratitude. And notice, there's a people here. Here's the teaching that's being emphasized. Notice the words. Which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Think of the word saints. See, this inheritance, I'll explain it in a moment, is not for all, it's not for everyone. It's not for every human being in the world. It's specific. It's particular group. And they're called the saints. Now, a saint, boys and girls, young people, is not a dead person who's been beatified or canonized by the Roman Catholic Church or by the Pope. There's no evidence or warrant for any such teaching in the Bible. You don't become a, a saint after you become dead. You, you only become one of God's holy ones, for that's what the word saint means, when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and he already has addressed them to whom he was writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. And you see, here's the clear teaching of the Bible. Not all are going to heaven. Not all are going to share in God's inheritance. They're not going to have a partner a lot in it until they know and have assurance that they're found in Christ. He's writing to living saints who are in Christ. So I asked you, are you in Christ? If we think of the teaching here that, that, that is being explained to us, you've got to notice the people. You've got to ask yourself, am I among the people? Notice secondly here, there's a principle. He says, which hath made us meet. Now we'll, we'll pause there. The word meet, it's an old Elizabethan word. And it means qualified or fit for. And this is not something that man does in and of himself. No one is a natural born child of God. Nobody is chosen or called or cleansed or um, commanded and cared for and comforted in and of their own selves. 
You see, a share in this inheritance is a matter of sovereign grace. It has nothing to do with human merit. You think of the word inheritance. It means that one who receives an inheritance receives it as a gift. He doesn't earn it. And who hath made us meet? Well, the answer is the living and the true God. As Father. Remember, the Bible says our sufficiency is of God. It's God who makes us worthy. It's God who qualifies us. It's God who who fits us for this inheritance. Because in and of ourselves, we're not worthy. In and of ourselves, we're sinners. Just like the, the lepers were leprous because they had the disease of leprosy. If I could illustrate it, suppose I said, well, I'm going to look for a job. And I get the paper and I look down the adverts and here's a position vacant. Doctor, that sounds good, Dr. McLaughlin. In fact, they call me that when I get on the Stena line. That's what they've made down as, Dr. McLaughlin. I haven't made them any wiser and I haven't corrected them. But you think of that, Dr. McLaughlin. Or suppose I wanted to become a scientist. That would be a very, very exciting job. Or, or what about a, an engineer? So I, I, I go to the, the meet with the board and tell them, well, well, I want to become a doctor. And here's the fundamental question at the start. Do you have the qualifications for such a job? In other words, have you got A-levels? Have you got a university degree? Is that degree in medicine? And, and, and once you get your, 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 your university degree starts, then you have to train for seven years. And then if you're qualified as a doctor, well, then you have some hope of getting the job in the medical profession. But if you haven't got the qualifications, you're not going to get the job unless you, you practice medicine fraudulently and you'll be found out and you'll end up in jail. You see... The word qualified means, the word meet means qualified. The word qualified means meet. And only God in sovereign grace qualifies us, makes us fit to share in this inheritance. I want you to emphasize that in and of ourselves, none of us are good enough. We're sinners and and we, we need to be saved. So there's a principle here. It's God who makes us meet. Notice also the portion here. If we think of the word inheritance, see the Apostle Paul, no doubt, I was believe he was thinking of the Old Testament image of the earthly inheritance for the children of Israel. And if we were to turn to, for example, the book of Joshua chapter 13, and we would read about the casting of the lots in Shiloh for the land of the promise. And all 12 tribes, every one of them had a lot. Every one of them got a share in the land of promise. Now, what had the tribes done to deserve this? They had done nothing to deserve this land of promise. They didn't choose which bit best suited them. No, it was all of God's appointment. It was not given according to merit. It was not given according to numbers. In other words, the biggest didn't get the best bit, and the smallest tribe got the least bit. No, It was all of God's good pleasure. They all participated in the drawing of the lot. No tribe was left out. But this inheritance was only for Israel. It was all for Israel. And what's true of Israel and their earthly inheritance and the allocation of the lot 
is true of the spiritual Israel of God, the church of Christ. I want you to think as you ponder this thought about the portion here, the inheritance, this is a literal inheritance. It's not pie in the sky, young people. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's real and genuine. It's true. In other words, it's literal. Could you imagine if I got a phone call from a solicitor or a letter to say that someone had left me a large inheritance, maybe a big estate somewhere with a large sum of money, and I'd be asking, is that true? Is it real? And you think of the impact that that would have on on me. I, I tell you, I'd be beaming from ear to ear. I'd be shouting it from the rooftops. I'd be sharing it, sending you out a WhatsApp message. Guess what, folks? You see, that's the idea here that Paul has in his mind. This is a, a literal inheritance. This is something that's real and concrete. Something that's true. I want you to notice it's not only a literal inheritance, but it's a spiritual inheritance. Now, what's involved? Let me explain very quickly. I'll put it very simply so that young people can grasp it. Chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. That has to do with the doctrine of election. And called in Christ in time. That has to do with regeneration, being born again of the Holy Spirit of God. This is all part of that spiritual inheritance. And cleansed in Christ. That has to do with redemption. And Paul later on brings in the theme of redemption. And we'll preach on it. Colossians 1 and verse 14. But then he goes on. Cared for in Christ. There's adoption. He's given thanks to the Father. He's thinking of God's family. He's thinking of God's people everywhere as brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of that family. Think about being consecrated in Christ. There's the doctrine of sanctification. Because remember he calls them the saints. Their motto is holiness unto the Lord. And then also think about being carried in Christ. You think of a mother carrying a child or a young person. And there's the idea of identification. Our union with Christ. And then think about our comfort in Christ. The ultimate glorification of God's people being brought into heaven and crowned in Christ. As we await Christ's return, we share in this spiritual inheritance. And all of this is involved. Oh, that we could sense that. Oh, that we could see that. Remember Paul says in Colossians, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's his inheritance. And this is what he has done for us in Christ. This is what we share in. It's not only literal and spiritual, but let me tell you, it's eternal. Ultimately, this is a reference to heaven. Of being with Christ in glory. Heaven is for all in Christ. Heaven is only for all in Christ. That is all who are chosen, called, cleansed, cared for, consecrated, carried, comforted, and crowned in Christ. Let me ask this question. What assurance do you have that you're qualified for heaven? That you're made for heaven? So let's suppose the day of your death comes and you leave this scene of time and you you go out into God's eternity and you're asked the question, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? You're going to mention your church, your good works. You're going to mention your baptism, your religiosity, your honesty. See, none of those answers are going to satisfy. 
the only answer has to be that you're found in Christ. And in Christ alone, clothed in his righteousness. That you're in saving union with him. And only in him can you experience and enjoy this inheritance. You see, here's the teaching that's being explained here. Why does he give thanks unto the Father? One blessing comes to mind. He's full of gospel gratitude. God's great inheritance. It's literal. It's spiritual. It's eternal. And and it's for God's people. And it's their portion. Because their portion is of the Lord. Let me just close this morning. We've thought about the um, thanksgiving that is being emphasized and the teaching that's being explained. Let's think about the treasuring to be enjoyed. I want you to focus in on two words or three words as we finish. If you look again at our text, it says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers. And notice the words at the end, in light. Partakers in light. You see, what does he mean? Partake in light. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, the word light here, I believe he's using it, while literally he's also using it metaphorically. In other words, it's a matter for for God. It's a matter for for heaven. It's a matter for for salvation. Remember the psalmist said, Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So if we think of the words partakers in light, what does that mean? Let me suggest as we finish, a close proximity to God. Do you know that the Bible talks about God's people being a people that's near him? Listen to these words, Psalm 148 verse 14. He also exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. See, the Bible teaches that God is light. 1 John 1 and 5. That means that God is pure, eternal, holy light. He dwells in light unapproachable. Remember the Lord Jesus said, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And if I was to Look in the sun with my natural eyes. If I could gaze into the glare of the sun, I would be blinded. And could you imagine drawing near the sun, boys and girls, without a space rocket and without a space suit? Would be burnt up by its strong rays and by its indescribable power. Yet the amazing thing in Christ, who's the light of the world, we can draw in close fellowship and be in a close relationship to him who is pure, holy, eternal light. We can bask in the presence of him who's the son of righteousness and remember it's written in this light or in thy light, I shall see light. Psalm 36 and verse 9. The Nicene Creed describes God as God of God, true God of true God, light of light, eternal. 
You see, the light of heaven is God himself. In fact, the Lamb and the Lord are the light of heaven. And if he dwells in pure holy light, then let's have the assurance that not only can we draw in close proximity to God now, but one day we're going to be with him, basking in the light of his glorious, radiant majesty. So there's a close proximity to, to God. Here's the treasuring that we can enjoy, partakers in light. There's a comforting purity of God. If God is light, then the Bible says in him is no darkness. You see, the darkness speaks of sin, disobedience, rebellion, wrath, shame, ingratitude. I wonder, do you hate the darkness? Let me tell you a little story. Way back years ago, when I was in the faith mission, I remember one night lying in bed. There was a number of us. I'll not name them in case they're listening. And we were hungry. What if you ever went to bed hungry, boys and girls? Sometimes when I get into bed, I'd be starving. And I would love to have a good fish supper or I'd love to have a good Chinese. And this is about 12 o'clock at night. But I daren't. I'd be told off, and not mention who would be doing the telling off. But this particular night, I was only a young student, and we decided that we would raid the faith mission kitchen. And we tiptoed down the stairs and into this big, dark kitchen, and we're afraid to put the light on, and we're saying, oh, well, we'll just open the cupboards, and we'll, we'll take out the boxes and see if there's any buns or any scones, and we'll scoff them. And uh, there was two or three of us uh, together in this plot, and as we opened the kitchen door, and some of us were in our bare feet, I had a pair of slippers on, and I could hear the crunch of things underneath my feet. And we put the light on, and I'm not exaggerating, there must have been at least a hundred cockroaches, and they scattered everywhere. And I'll tell you something, we scarpered up the stairs with no buns and no scones as quickly as we could. I was thinking, these big cockroaches the size of a 50-penny piece. You know what frightened us? And you see, when we think about the darkness, doesn't those creepy crawlies love to come out in the dark? What's the opposite of light? Darkness. But you apply the light. Oh, the light warms, the light comforts, the light purifies. And it removes our cloud of depression and brings in its place sweetness and pleasure. And we're going to bask in God's light without ceasing. What, what a comforting purity. And I finish with this. It's a conscious possession from God. Partakers in light. Do you know that when we think about this eternal inheritance that's literal and spiritual, it's reserved in heaven for us. And if you can say the Lord is my light and my salvation, then this inheritance is yours and it's undefiled, it's incorruptible and doesn't fade away and it'll never be stolen by men. You see, here's the thought. God the Father, through God the Son in his sovereign grace and mercy, he made these Colossians in Christ worthy, competent, to receive a share of the inheritance of saints in light. In other words, in the realm of salvation. An inheritance in the realm of salvation that's free and full and forever. And the Colossians had already entered it. It was their possession now. It was a conscious possession from God. 
but the full profession, possession of it was in the future and it was awaiting them. And that's a treasure to be enjoyed. You go home and you think of this. What was the preacher talking about? He was talking about thanksgiving. It's to be emphasized. He was talking about a teaching that was explained that was about God's inheritance of the saints. And it's a treasuring to be enjoyed because we're, we're partakers in light. The Lord bless you today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. And we thank all the online uh, audience as well.